Hello, sweet sisters, and welcome to Cosmic Conceptions, a place where we acknowledge that women are of nature and the stars. My name is Athena, and I'll be your guide as we explore esoteric transmissions on fertility astrology, conscious conceptions, women's health, and more. Here we will not shy away from the radical, the controversial, or the spiritual. So grab your tea and let's get cosmic. Today on the show, we talk to Alexa, who shares with us her preconception story, beginning with her patriarchal upbringing, being on birth control for seven years, receiving a very hasty PCOS diagnosis, which ultimately shuttled her through fertility clinics until ending up in emergency surgery after an IVF transfer resulted in an infection. We pause to look at the astrology behind the turning point uh, in her story. Story, this turning point, and how it launched her into a new perspective on women's health and her own fertility journey. The conversation also playfully wanders through musings on doctors as heroes, which drugs are actually required for IVF, and how many of them are not. The spiritual community's sort of strange embrace for fertility technology, and ultimately, we end on Alexa's incredibly kismet adoption process. The bonus content for this week is a beautiful meditation accompanied by journal prompts by Alexa herself, and you'll be able to access that in the show notes. This bonus content is um, for paying subscribers of the show. So if you would like to support Cosmic Conceptions, you can subscribe through Substack for $11 a month and receive all of the bonus content for the show, as well as my monthly Ask Me Anythings and incredibly personal and vulnerable Cosmic Conception diaries in which I write about my own Cosmic Conception journey. If you have your own story to share about a cosmic conception, maybe a radical healing story, or perhaps even the work that you're doing in women's health, preconception, or birth, please make sure to reach out to me and let me know. I would love to have you on to discuss. And of course, if you're interested in receiving truly radical, honest, holistic, preconception, or maybe even quote-unquote infertility care, you can work with me one-on-one through my signature offering, Infertile Moon. This is where I sit with women for 90 minutes after looking at and preparing calculations around their natal chart for hours prior to sitting with you, and we discuss everything, medical astrology, fertile transit reports, um, lifestyle and earth-based medicine that you can be utilizing in your journey, and also addressing any of the more spiritual and psychological stories that may be playing out for you in your process. So if that sounds like something that would be supportive for you in your journey, you can check out the link to that in the show notes or visit wildwillingwisdom.com slash in-fertile-moon. Without any further wait, let's get into the episode. Welcome, Alexa. Thank you so much for coming to the show and being willing to tell us your story. I feel like 
there are going to be so many amazing um, lessons and opportunities there for us all to learn and for women to maybe see themselves in your journey, which is always very healing. Uh, but before we get started, I would just love to um, introduce you to the audience through your moon sign and the lineage of your mother line. Okay. Yeah. So my moon sign is Gemini, which I know is your moon sign <laughs> as well. Lineage on my mother's side is kind of is kind of interesting because it has there's a lot of just like um Eastern European. Um, and then there's also this interesting, like Native American line, like seven generations back. And I do not obviously look like, I, but like seven generations back, my great grandfather is, was the chief of the Mohawk tribe. And so, um, yeah, I have like these two lines from her that are kind of interesting. Um, yeah. So that's kind of my mother line. Beautiful. Thank you for sharing that with us. Um, why don't you, I know there's a lot to talk about today because there's, there's a couple things that I want to, to cover with you, but I think, uh, it's important to start specifically with your preconception story and your experiences with fertility technology and, um, ultimately the story of how you ended up becoming a mother, um, in your own unique uh, path. So yeah, why don't you begin wherever you feel that that preconception journey started for you? So, okay. Yeah. I feel like, um, to start off, I want to give you like a little background of how I grew up. Um, I grew up in a very patriarchal religion, the Mormon or LDS religion. Um, and so this, did informed my life for about 30 years until I left, chose to left, leave that religion. So, um, so about seven years, um, I will mention for seven years, I was on hormonal birth control. Um, <clears throat> and I even was for the last few years of that, my doctor had me on continuous birth control. I believe it was maybe the Nuva ring or something, um, where she just had me skip my period. So I was just on it continuously, never having my period. <laughs> so, um, that was going on for seven years. And then <clears throat> once, uh, me and my husband decided to have children, then I stopped that. And then, obviously it makes sense to me now why, you know, oh, I'm not ovulating. I'm, you know, <laughs> it kind of makes sense after seven years of hormonal birth control of why I was not ovulating and all of that. And so, um, I was quickly diagnosed with PCOS. Um, even though like now I ovulate every month and all of that. And I think it was just, you know, needing the time to get off that birth control. So how long um, was it between getting off the birth control and like the first diagnosis? I would say like a year, like wow. it, was, it was maybe like eight months when I, you know, we started trying right after I went off birth control and, um, and then I started taking the ovulation tests and I'm like, 
they were look kind of weird and hard to understand. And I took them to my doctor's office about eight months after. And she was like, yeah, this looks like you're maybe not ovulating. Um, why don't we just quickly, um, normally you wait a year, you know, till you're infertile <laughs> and, and, um, and but eight months, if you're having these problems, we'll just quickly send you over to the fertility clinic right away, you know? And so then I go and then, yeah, she's like, yeah, it was funny. Even looking back her, the way she was diagnosing me was like, it seems like you would meet the criteria for this. Like you kind of, and looking back, it's like, I didn't even meet full criteria for a PCOS diagnosis. I don't know. Anyway. So I got diagnosed with PCOS very quickly. And that's when I did the IUIs and the letrozole. And then eventually um, we moved and to, from Utah to LA and, um, we started, went to a new fertility clinic and did husband's morphology was bad. And so, um, yes. Yeah, so they claimed that my husband's morphology was bad and that means that we could only do IVF. And, um, I was like, okay. And when so, you say, when you say that you could only do IVF, what would the alternative have been if his morphology was healthy? Good. Um, it would have probably just been a, more IUIs mm-hmm. so, and to give like a, like at this clinic. And I feel like it's probably average, like cost wise, like IUI there is like five grand and at this clinic in LA, um, it was cheaper in Utah, but I would say that's kind of average. And then, um, IVF is like 30 grand. So like, obviously there's, they can make a lot more money off of the IVF. And the reason why I say they claim that my husband had bad morphology is because later on, we have found out through different IVF doctors that every clinic morphology specifically, they they don't have a standardized test for it. Mm -hmm. And so, um, you know, and, and then we, we moved back to Utah after four, four or five years living there. And, um, he gets his sperm tested again and his morphology is completely fine and everything is all his numbers were great. And so it was interesting because even when he got that test, he was just like, it feels something feels off, you know, like, he's like, I don't know if I believe this. And at first I was like, kind of mad at him. Like, Oh, what, you don't think you have any problems, (laughs) (laughs) but you know, he was right. Like he, he kind of knew he's my little cancer guy. So, you know, he's, he, he knew. Um, and he, yeah. So that we, we were like, okay, well, I guess we'll do IVF. And, um, I was sad about that. I didn't want to do it. And I actually, for a, even when we're doing IVF and we were like, my husband was in grad school. I was just like, still maybe trying to find a job. I think at the time out there, I'm a mental health therapist. And so I was still trying to find a job out there and it was taking a while. So we didn't really have money, but we had a lot of family friends that were like, we will like donate to help you do this. And so I, but in my like soul, I was like, I really 
feel like I'm going to, we're going to adopt first. Like, I just really feel like that in my bones, you know? And, um, but everyone's like, here, here's all this money. Like all these family and friends, like we were blown away. It was very, very kind of them. And then all of a sudden we have 30 grand to do the IVF and we're like, okay, I guess that's the next step. And we'll just do it. you know. And I have so- to say, I think it's really interesting how invested people are in babies. Yeah, I know. Right. <laughs> like there's a lot of like, there's it, like it, 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 I feel like other people feel something for a couple who like can't conceive. It's like, yes. Oh no, but you must find a way. You yes. Way Like everyone gets very invested in it. Yes. Which is like, obviously that's very kind. And that's why I brought up my religion. That's a very, um, like Mormon thing. Like, especially for the woman, like that's your main purpose is to have children. And that's preached to you ever since you're little, they have this thing called the proclamation of the family. And it's like the man's role is to provide. And the woman's role is to like have children and nurture. And like, so that is like just heavily, you know, and here I am and everyone also gets married very young, like 18, 19 year old, you're not supposed to have sex before you get married. So everyone gets married young and quickly. And then, um, and then also, um, so here I am probably like, I was about, you know, Saturn return age when all this is happening, like 29 years old. Um, and I'm going to church and I'm me and my husband, no children and everyone else around us is having kids and feeling very, very left out, feeling very like, I don't feel, feel like I fully belong here because I don't have children. And so, yeah, that's why I think everyone rallied around so quickly. Cause it's like, this is the most important thing you will ever do, you know? <laughs> and so, <clears throat> um, yeah. So then we proceed with the IVF and, um, same thing with the medications. I'm just like not feeling well, having all these symptoms. And the first we did one transfer and that one failed. And, um, then we go on to do <clears throat> the second one. And the whole time my body is just like, I, you know, like it was not feeling well the entire time. And, um, I, then we go and another thing to mention is I did have like an endometrioma cyst. I had like signs of endometriosis and, and then the endometrioma cyst. And one thing looking back to is I know other IVF doctors will not proceed with procedures. If you have like larger cysts and things like that. Um, my IVF doctor was very like, he had very like, um, I would say narcissistic tendencies, like very, (laughs) like just no, not good bedside manner. And it was just seemed not concerned at all about any of the pain I was having and about my cyst I was having. And like, I could tell even walking in their office, you could tell they're, they don't care. They just want people who have money. They just want, um, they just, it felt like a machine. They were trying to get as many people in there as possible. And I'll share a later example that kind of proves my point better. But so once, um, I, we do the second IVF transfer and very soon after I fall, like very ill and I'm like high fever, 
um, shaking uncontrollably with rigors and, um, just very, very sick and in a lot of pain. And I call them and they're like, okay, well, (laughs) they're like, you still can't take ibuprofen in case you're pregnant. So just continue with the Tylenol and just see if the pain lessens in a couple days or whatever. And I'm like, okay. (laughs) And I like Tylenol, not cutting it whatsoever. I, I think I, why, why did they think it was okay to take Tylenol, but not ibuprofen? Cause if you're pregnant, like, I guess this is a thing you can take Tylenol, but you can't take ibuprofen during your pregnancies. I don't know. And okay. so they, they <laughs> sure. yeah, I know, which I've since then heard that, that also is not necessarily true either anyways. And so, so, <laughs> so I'm taking Tylenol, which does not work. And it was just like, I was in so much pain and my husband was in his finals week at school. And I was, it was just like, that explosion of everything, like definitely Saturn return energy. <laughs> and I was just like, so then event I call I maybe called them and then they tell me, and then they maybe tell me to go to urgent care instead of even coming to see them. They're like, go to urgent care. So I go to urgent care, they test and they're like, yes, you definitely have an infection. Um, here's some antibiotics, take the antibiotics, they do nothing. And so this is where like a red light bulb should go off in any practitioner. Like she's taking antibiotics. She's still in tons of pain, high fever, all that stuff. And so, um, and the day after I went to the urgent care, I went in to go visit them. And that by then they've had multiple phone calls from me. They know what's going on. I, I go into the doctor's office. He walks in and he goes, so you're the one who's having OHSS, which is overstimulation from your stims that you take to grow your, before you have an egg retrieval. And I was like, no, I'm the one who just had a transfer. And I'm like, have an infection. Like he didn't even <laughs> like oh even go, yeah. Oh like, <laughs> oh, oh yeah, that's right. I just wanted to make sure like, it was just like, okay. So that's how invested he was, even though like I was having life threatening signals, you know? And so then I leave that office and I think maybe a day or two later, I'm still in a lot of pain. And then I just finally decided like to follow my intuition. (laughs) And I was like, you need to go to the ER. My husband's like, okay. And so we go to the ER and then that's when everything, finally I got help. I finally got validated in my pain for the first time. They're like, what's your pain level? And I was like, maybe like a six. They're like, no, honey, <laughs> like you're at like a 10. And I just started bawling. So I was like, it was the first time any doctor was like validated my pain and what I was going through. And so, um, then they're like, yeah, you have, you have sepsis, you need emergency surgery, all that stuff. And the funny thing is that I get a phone call from my doctor's office while I'm at the ER. They're like, so, um, yeah, we did your blood work and you're not pregnant. So you can now take Tylenol codeine. And I was like, yeah, I'm at the ER and they're doing emergency surgery because blah, 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 blah. And they're like, oh, you know? (laughs) And so I was just like pissed at them by that point, you know? And I, you know, got the emergency surgery. They found all these cysts and endometriosis and they got all that out and they got the infection out. Wow. 
And um, so when you went in before you received IVF, was this something that was like on your radar as a possibility like this, that it's like, oh, if you get IVF, a side effect is that you could have this horrific infection and end up in emergency surgery, (laughs) by the way. No, definitely not. (laughs) Do Do they tell you any, like, is it one of those things where it's like, oh no, this is just routine fertility treatments or do they actually sit with you and like outline all of the things that could go wrong? Um, Oh, I'm trying to think. <laughs> I I know that they did not tell me that that could be one of the outcomes. Um, I don't, if they did, I don't remember every little conversation I had, but I don't remember there was like ever like huge emphasis is on like, just so you know, this could happen, you know, um, even with the medications, for example, like, um, <clears throat> I don't know they, they go, they'd be like, you could feel like bloated or you could feel, um, but they never went into the extent of like what I think most women actually feel when they take those medications is just, they do try to make it feel like this is very normal. Um, yeah, they don't try to, (laughs) it definitely wasn't like, this is going to be hard, you know? (laughs) Right. Right. They're going to, they're just going to be very, they're just very cut and dry and not, and like I said, even with the symptoms I went to present to them, they were always very like, for one time they did like a, a thing where they scratch your uterine lining and to hopefully help. They did that one on my second transfer to, cause it can hopefully help with implantation. I don't know oh how, gosh. but so they go in like a few days before the transfer and scrape you. And they're like, yeah, it doesn't hurt. Just take some ibuprofen before you come. And I'm like, okay, I go. And it's only like a 10 second procedure, but the whole time I'm gripping my chair and I'm like in so much pain. And I'm like, yeah, that, that hurt a lot, <laughs> like, you know? And so they, they, I just don't think they want to validate or they, I don't know. They're like, yeah, you know, that happened a lot to me actually in many of the tests. They're like, yeah, it doesn't hurt, you know? And then it does, you know, and then it would be like excruciating. It really does. <laughs> so, um, wow. I wanted to interject too, cause you're talking about a lot of stuff that I, I was looking at in your chart actually. And so I, I pulled up uh, the chart for the day that you had the emergency surgery. Mm-hmm. And like, there's a lot of like key energetic influences. Like it was like definitely like a perfect storm moment um, in terms of like this kind of like, yeah, experience being triggered. I mean, t- definitely like Saturn return energy. <laughs> It's like really present and it's like so interesting. Like this is clearly has clearly become a pattern on cosmic conceptions where it's like my conception was a Saturn return, like Mm -hmm. channeling my first guest had a Saturn return influence. And Mm -hmm. then like you now also had this like pivotal Saturn return moment. Um, Like your Saturn return was like almost exactly conjunct. Uh, when this happened to you. And then you also had a near perfect conjunction between transiting Mars and your natal moon, which is like the infamous like transit that triggers miscarriage actually. 
Wow. So like that was like, like if you had been working with astrology to plan like the optimal time for a transfer, like that would have not been the time. Like it would, it would have been like, just wait until that passes. Mm-hmm. Um, and also at the exact same time that that was happening, Uranus was like perfectly transiting over your ascendant. So Uranus, the ascendant is kind of like really, it is really representative of like your whole body vitality and like physical constitution and uranus is like this electrical unpredictable planet that can cause very unexpected things to happen like think shock waves so like uranus was like channeling through that entry point into like your whole body like mm-hmm. your whole energetic field while this mars transit was happening while you're like navigating your Saturn return. So wow. there were like all these like, <laughs> I was like, whoa. And then it was like so interesting too what you're saying about even the cysts and like endometriosis and stuff because you have your Gemini moon um, and your natal moon is like very closely conjunct uh, Jupiter, which mm-hmm. can be a very, it's a benefic planet. So it brings things like luck and joy um um, and delicious tastes like fats and stuff like that into our life, but he can also be extremely excessive. So usually if he's negatively positioned in the chart, he's going to create things like abscesses or cysts or growth, right? Wow. Yeah. And he's there also. So Jupiter is very closely, um, friends with the moon in your chart and then Mm -hmm. next to them also is actually mercury who governs uh hormones so there's like a little dynamic playing around yes (laughs) between those three planets um in gemini in your chart so yeah i just i can see like the constitution of the womb there that you're describing with the the endometrial tissue and like the cysts and all that kind of kind wow. of stuff. That's very yeah. Wow, that blows my mind. <laughs> yeah. 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 <clears throat> wow. Yeah. Well, I could definitely feel everything you said in all those transits. That was definitely happening to me in my life. <laughs> Even with like my mom ha- my mom had cancer. Like it was just like mm, everything wow. was like, you know. And so yeah, that that experience. So yeah, after that experience was very quickly when I jumped into some type of awakening into myself again, like, um, I, with that doctor, I did think of like suing him. Um, I was honestly too traumatized to do anything about it. I asked a couple people that I knew were like attorneys and things and friends that I had. And they were like, yeah, you can try. Some people were like a little, like, I don't know if it will go anywhere. Um, and, um, yeah, but yeah, I, I honestly was just too traumatized to, I was going to ask you, what was the, your postpartum? Like, did you even have awareness that you were postpartum? I, how did you facilitate your healing? You know, you know, so I'm trying that was like in April of 2019. So, um, in December, yeah. Okay. December of that year. Okay. Let me go from April to December. So I, 
was just, you know, physically recovering and, um, for a little while for, you know, a while after for the surgery and all the antibiotics, my gut was wrecked. And, um, and I was aware as you asked that question, I remember our first transfer when it didn't take, I definitely was aware, like it felt like a miscarriage. Like it feels because it is like this embryo. And so you feel, um, it feels like a miscarriage, even though I've never had like an actual, I don't know what you would, I don't know, but it felt like a miscarriage. Right. Um, and so the second one, I did experience some feelings of loss. Um, I was mainly just like, so traumatized by like the whole experience though. I think that was more what my focus was and it did shift me that majorly shift me, shifted me to, um, adoption. I was like, I was right all along. Like, why did I not listen to myself? You know? Um, and so I was just like, okay, I'm not dealing with that anymore. Um, I started to, I went, started going to therapy and that was helpful. She was doing like EMDR and then, um, it eventually led me into doing plant medicine actually. And so, um, that was in December of that year. And that was when I really was like, you know, <laughs> and so that was like the big turning point, but it was a big turning point. Just that experience catapulted me for sure into like more holistic ways of doing things more, um, just everything. It just really catapulted me that way. And I was already like, yeah, I was starting to hear about stuff from it, just from cl even clients I was working with. It was like the universe was pushing me in that direction. And so once I did um, some plant medicine journeys is really when I was like, oh, okay. Like, okay. I see this differently now. You know, that's when I really started to heal. I eventually did uh, send uh, that doctor an email. <clears throat> it was like the best I could do. It was too late to probably sue him, but it was when I was starting to feel more like empowered and I sent him an email and I like CC'd everyone in his office that I could find. So it was like a public thing. <laughs> I was like, this is, Oh my God. I love that. <laughs> <laughs> I was like all the nurses, all the staff, like, I just like wanted everyone to know how I felt, you know? Um, and he responded with some weird, like narcissistic political statement of some kind. I don't know. And I didn't respond back, but I felt good to just be like, to have everyone else see too, not just him. <laughs> so, um, it's so interesting. Like, I feel like in our culture, the medical profession is, is sort of pedestaled, like. Mm -hmm. the doctors are, are heroes or something, or like the nurses are heroes or something. And like, we forget that they're just people, like mm -hmm. they're just humans who mm -hmm. were taught what they were told is true and regurgitated facts into mm -hmm. testing and are now like playing this role in the community. And like, they, 
have their own trauma. They have their own healing expressions. They also wake up and take a shit and get into a fight with their wife and Mm -hmm. yell at people in traffic. Like, (laughs) you know what I mean? Like they're not like, you know, descended from Mount Olympus. Like (laughs) they're just people. And like a lot of them are extremely dysregulated, symptomatic, like, humans who are not integrated it's not like in like other cultures where like the medicine people were extremely wizened integrated individuals yeah you know like that's not part of the requirements for becoming a physician in our culture it's just what can what facts can you regurgitate onto a test yeah and then how many hours can you work in a hospital Mm-hmm. you know, to be able to call yourself experienced. Mm-hmm. And, and even that process itself is a traumatic form. Like, it's a traumatic initiation and oh, like yeah. a hazing in a way in order to get into these positions. So yeah, it's like, I like that you're calling out that this person clearly had narcissistic expressions. And it's so important to be, to remember that, that like you could be giving somebody authority over your body including these intimate procedures that involve your conceptions and they can be totally narcissistic, like not sound humans, you know, it's like, it's, it kind of reminds me of when all those um, articles were coming out about uh, doctors who were using their own semen for like IVF transfers. Oh gosh. Yeah. Like, wow. <laughs> wow. If that isn't a grandiose sense of self, I don't know. What it is. It's like, wow. I know that's like, that's, that was one thing like, um, just like getting into more of this spiritual side of things too. Um, like when you, when I think of IVF now, um, well, I wanted to mention this other thing too, because if anyone in, I don't know if anyone listening, this might be helpful for them. I found out later after the, from a different IVF doctor that I just happened to meet at this like conference I was at. And he, um, said, well, you know, you can do IVF without all the medications, like besides for the stimulate, like to get the, um, I mean, you actually don't probably even have to use the stimulating hormones. If you want to just do an egg retrieval and retrieve like one or two eggs, you could. Um, but for me, like we have two embryos left, for example. And so he's like, you don't have to, you, the success rates are the same. If you, as long as you're ovulating, the success rates are the same. You just follow your natural cycle. It's just, um, more convenient for the doctor to like pump you full of all the medications. Oh my God. I've never heard of this. Yeah. (laughs) And so, so besides like the hormones to kind of jack up your follicle production, like what other kind of medications is usually standard for these, this treatment? So you do do like all the stimulating hormones to, like you said, stimulate the follicles and then they do an egg retrieval to get the eggs out. And then that's when they make them into embryos. And then once they're embryos, that's when they do the transfer. And so the embryo transfer. And so in order to prep, some people do an embryo transfer, like right away, what they call a fresh transfer. Um, I didn't do that because we did genetic testing on the, um, embryos. And so you do a frozen transfer. And so, um, 
when you do a frozen transfer, you have to prep your body for the transfer by pumping yourself full of estradiol um, and progesterone. And um, there was like at least two more. I can't remember the names, um, but there's a multiple like your progesterone estrogen, progesterone, and like a couple others. And then like a, and then like some other kind, I don't know. (laughs) You're doing all these different kinds to prep your uterine lining and make sure it's the perfect uterine lining and to make sure your estrogen progesterone levels are perfect, like all that stuff. And so, um, yeah, if your estrogen progesterone levels and your uterine lining are doing just fine, then there's literally no point to use all those. The statistics are the same. And so like there's people out there doing all these injections and stuff when actually if you're, you know, doing well, you you don't even need it, which I think they should be telling you that because it's such, so I personally feel like all of the medications was one of the reasons why I got the infection, why it like inflamed my whole body. It just did all that wrecked havoc on my body. And so, yeah, that's a good thing to know if, if anyone on here is like doing a transfer of any kind soon or anything, looking into IVF, you know, you can do it with way, way, way less invasiveness and all of that. Um, but yeah, back to what you said about like the doctor, like when I think now, like of IVF, this is just my personal, like I totally see a space for it for anyone who feels called to do that. But for me, like now I've eventually gotten to the point where like, I know, like it took a while to reprogram some of my beliefs about like my abilities to like get pregnant and all of that because of all the stories that were fed to me. Um, But now I know that like that is something I can do myself without like the treatments. And it really helped. We felt like intuitively led to like get my husband's sperm. We're like, let's just like get in a clinic just to test your sperm, just to like see. And then of course we test it. It's completely fine. (laughs) And we're like, okay, so let's just like move forward with like doing this just us, you know? And, um, really it, the plant medicine obviously did help because I was been, was, was shown, for example, like how powerful my womb is and how, like, it's like your womb knows how to create life. Like your womb knows how to do this, you know? And so, um, you know, those experiences very much ingrained, but when I think of like going to a clinic and just like the energy, the staleness, the, like the not honoring my intuitionness of, you know, like all of that stuff. And, and the fact that like, literally the doctor is the one that gets me pregnant. Like, yes, it's my husband's sperm, but like, literally I'm sitting, you're sitting there in this sterile room and they're like, here it goes. <laughs> you know, and oh you're like, God, watching- so uncomfortable. <laughs> <laughs> I know. And you're like watching on a screen. Like you can see your, you can, they watch you because they have an ultrasound going. So that part's like, it's kind of cool. You can see it, but like, it's, but they're like, here it is. And they like have a catheter and it's going in your, through your cervix and like, and then you see it go, the embryo go into your cervix and I mean, into your uterus. And so like, it's just like a not, I'm very not like, (laughs) it's just like a sterile, I imagine like any 
Um, I don't want to like discount anyone who does. I mean, I did IVF, you know, but like where I personally am at now, it's like that feels so out of alignment to be like in this sterile environment for myself. Like, and it feels out of of alignment for my future, like spirit baby. Like I now feel it connected to this next baby child coming through. And I know that that's like not what they want either, you know? And so it's it's so interesting too, to like, think about how, you know, the, the doctor is like participating in impregnating you and like that they're kind of part of this ritual now. And then like, what is the energetics behind that? Just like in a quantum sense, you know, like what are, what is the imprint on these Mm. spirits, these embryos through all of this, like first being, I guess it depends on your personal beliefs on when a spirit is called into, you know, human tissue human reality like is the spirit called into the embryo and like does imprinting happen there and then what is happening at the moment of like bringing that embryo into the womb right in this environment that you're describing so there's like all these different layers to the energetic imprinting Mm-hmm. And it's interesting. And I have I haven't gone down the rabbit hole fully yet, but like I will be about like um like health outcomes of like IVF produced children and mm-hmm. like now just approaching health from a more energetic emotional understanding like mm-hmm. are these health problems these these healing expressions of for children who are IVF children like is it actually rooted in a more from a more energetically disrupted origin. Yeah. You know, I know. I wonder that I want, I, these are some like thoughts on my mind lately, as far as like IVF, cause it has occurred. It has like been born into this earth for like a, re- a reason, meaning like it came about, I know you have done, I haven't read this stuff on, I don't know if it's on your blog or something, but I know you've done like how it came about. (laughs) Um, I haven't dug as much into that, but I know like, it's like on an energetic basis. Like I've heard some people say in the spiritual community or whatever you want to call it, like this one woman who is like a talks to spirit babies and things and did, and then ended up doing IVF because her spirit baby asked her to do IVF, which I thought was interesting. Uh, And this is, this is what I don't know how I feel, but it's just like an interesting thing to take note of. And this, this spirit baby told her like that one way to like come in with less karma is through like IVF because, and I don't know if that's true and I don't know if it, and, but my one thought about that is there is a lot of people these days who, who are how I was before I like did my own healing work was like not connected to the womb, not connected to healing anything from their lineage and all of that. And if you do, especially if you do genetic testing, they're like weeding out like all the bad genes, which makes me wonder if they're weeding out any, like, um, like, genetics of generational trauma. I'm like, is that one way to like weed it out when we have a system of people who are not like connected in that way? Is this like a weird, Yeah. this, we're going to try to do it this way, even though it's not the best way. Right. Yeah. <laughs> I, I mean, know. I have so many thoughts about that too. Cause like, I definitely know, I've also heard a similar story of like someone who is like very spiritual and everything is magic and communication with clairvoyant <laughs> gifts and blah, blah, blah. And then it's like, Oh, you know, my guides told me that I was going to have a medicated birth. 
And mm-hmm. that it's just, you know, ego that I would even attempt to have a natural birth. And I think declarations like that are really interesting. I think uh, being a magic worker myself, I have looked back on my journey and also seen um, a lot of instances where like my own personal bias that was like still existing in a subconscious plane was influencing the way in which I was like interpreting my practice and, and my messages. And I, and I don't think anyone ascends above ever being controlled by their subconscious plane ever, (laughs) you know, like in the end, like you are still human and like, it's kind of impossible to ascend out of that until of course you transition to the other side, um, that that's part of the journey. So it's like, okay, well, is that true? Or is there a part of you that's just projecting that wish onto your present reality because there's something else going on there. And then of course, like, everything that exists here at this time is perfect. Um, even though some of those things cause harm and like, I used to think, Oh, why do we have to suffer so much? Like, why do humans have to suffer in order to learn the lessons? Can't we just, you know, collectively continue to rise as a culture and like have collective awareness around things that are harmful so we can all make better choices and blah, blah, blah. blah. But then I kind of came to a real realize that even though everything um, is perfect and here for a reason and in its place, like, one of the part of the experience of being human is that suffering is inevitable. Like it is not something that you try to avoid and each generation, the way in which we suffer Mm -hmm. looks different, Mm -hmm. but it's like the, you will never escape it. There will always be a new tool or a new, you know, narrative or a new programming Mm -hmm. that is going to cause suffering Right. And that experience is going to provide hopefully an opportunity. Well, definitely going to provide an opportunity for growth for those who are engaging with those experiences and with those tools. And then like in terms of genetics, I mean, even that is sort of, you know, it's like if you if you embrace the more newer approach to the study of genetics, which is now hinging on epigenetics, not genetics, then Mm -hmm. it's like, okay, well, how much of a difference does it actually make to do all this genetic screening when like ultimately that human is going to come into their own body and onto their own path. And then they're going to start switching things on and off anyway. Yeah. That's, <laughs> that's a really we, good point. You know? yeah. So yeah, it's like, it's yeah. interesting how we tried to bypass these things. It's like, Oh no, no, we figured it out. We can turn them yes. on and off for you. You know, we can yeah. do all these things for you. And like, it's better this way. Right. But yeah. then ultimately yeah. like, you know, nature always wins. And I just think yeah. that whatever it was meant to be will come around full circle in the, in in another, you know, through another creative path. So those are some of my thoughts on, on all of those things. No, I, I love that. And I think that that's like, I feel like I had like a million thoughts going off when you were talking. Um, because the, um, the epigenetics thing and the timing thing, well, I kind of wanted to share like, when you were talking, it's kind of like, 
um, you know, it's like, oh, should I do IVF? Like all these things. And one thing that I found for myself is, and like you said, using the lens, people, we get stuck in the lens that we have until we can raise our consciousness and all of that and then step into another layer. But for me, it was like, like I could do IVF if I wanted to. And I, if I tune into like what, what I feel like is truly like, it's like, no, I deserve better than that. Do you know what I mean? Like, that's where I'm coming from is like, and it's not out of like delusion. Like it feels like completely aligned, you know, like, like it, that could be like a part of my path. If I wanted that to, to make that choice, I could totally do the like unmedicated, like IVF thing or whatever. It would be very non-invasive besides having the doctor impregnating me, you know? <laughs> um, but I, in my like heart, I know that like, I deserve better than that. Like I, and I think some people, um, like I've heard, I heard someone say this and I like it. Like a lot of people aren't willing to like step through the, open the door and step to the next space or whatever. They don't, it's hard. It's, it's the path that I have chosen to do this on my own has come been very confronting for me it's it's really really had me take a really really deep look at my body at my any trauma any anything that might be interacting with my womb in any way like it this has been like definitely a more confronting path for me to choose to do this on my own between me and my husband and so um i will say like and that's just me, but like, I feel like there is, if you have any question in your mind of like, oh, but it just seems like the IVF might be easier, or it seems like the IVF might, whatever, like check, check in with yourself because there might be like a more aligned path. And there's definitely a pathway to that path. You know what I mean? And so I don't think that I know you preach this and this is something I preach to, like, I definitely do not think anyone is infertile. Like, obviously there might be some cases where people like don't have ovaries or things like that, that like are different, but like, if you have everything intact and working and stuff, like, even if you just have one ovary, like there, there is a way and it can be like a transformative spiritual path for you to get to that point, which, which is awesome. And it's been incredible for me. And so all it has is just taught me to be more in tune with myself, more understandings, more, it, it's just like in made my life better. And like, you're talking about suffering. And one thought I had about that is like, there is a difference between pain and suffering. Like we can't escape, we can't escape that suffering, like you're said, and we can also just, um, confront it differently. Like, I think as you, um, for example, for me, like a month or two ago, I was having a lot of pain and I found out I had another cyst and I was, but like this time, the way I approached it was like a million times different. Like I wasn't like in victim about it. I wasn't like, oh my gosh, I thought I was healed. Like I was like, okay, like there's a purpose. There's a reason for this. I'm going to feel into this. I felt into like the energetics behind it. I felt into, um, and it wound up being like, I felt like a lot of, um, just like one little piece that was trying to get my attention of some healing. And then also some, uh, physical things my body was asking me to do that I would have been like lax about whether it was like more movement or, um, 
some yoni steaming. I've been getting that to like, you really, I want some attention more in my womb, you know? And so like, it wasn't like this big, like, um, oh my gosh, I'm in suffering. I'm like suffering because I have this cyst. It was the way, because of all the healing work I've done, it, it turned more into just like a painful week, (laughs) but then I moved through it and I I used it as like a a lesson, you know, and like a gift, like, oh, that really helped me to understand another layer of myself. And so I feel like that's how we can transmute like Instead of being, I think of suffering, it's probably my religious upbringing of scripture saying long suffering, endure to the end. Like, and so like, I think of that as like, oh, that's intense versus like pain is just like a little, a little bit of pain. And then you move through it to the next point. And I feel like that's the difference between, I don't know, when you actually like heal and work on yourself and have the courage to open the doors, go down the dark hallways in your mind and your soul and like explore everything. That's like what it can give us is the, yeah, resiliency, I guess. Yeah. And I, I want to circle, I want to weave back into your story too, because you were talking about how like, you know, not aligning with this idea that one is infertile. Um, But I also talked um, I also like, like to bring a lot of attention to the fact that there's more than one way to step into the archetype of the mother. Um, and of course, one of those ways is an avenue that you explored and called in, into your your life. And so I just would love to hear more about um, how you made the decision to pursue adoption and maybe a little bit about what that process was like for you. Yeah, so the adoption was... Yeah. So, okay. It started actually before I met my husband and I had a dream about this child and, um, and I knew it was one of my children, but I, that's like all I thought of back at that point was like, Oh, that seems like one of my children. Um, and both me and my husband are like blonde hair, blue eyed. And this child was like darker features and stuff. And so I was like, if I was like, okay. And, but then I married my husband. I was like, okay. And then after, I want to say it was after maybe the surgery or something, I woke up and then this child came to me again and was like, don't forget about me. And I like woke up like bawling and I was like, we need to find her. And I want to say like preface, we ended up adopting a, a boy, but there was a reason for all of this. So like, um, this, it was like a girl with like brown hair and like darker features. And she was like, you need, do not forget about me. And so I was like, okay, we need to adopt. We need to find this child. Like it, they're calling to me. And so, um, we start on the adoption process or like getting, you know, everything set up and everything's feeling really aligned. And we had like a couple, um, we had one actually that was very important to our journey. And we actually flew out and met her and she was, um, we, she didn't know, want to know the gender of her baby. And, um, she did choose us, but she only chose us on the condition that we would be okay making certain more holistic medical choices for her child. And that was the first time I had went down that, like that someone had posed the question, would you do this to your child? You know, I had never really like thought about it because I never had been had a child before. And so she, she didn't end up like, she ended up choosing to parent her child in the end, but it was integral to our journey because she really helped me open my eyes to all these like holistic things of like, 
that I ended up choosing to like not do for our child. And, and it, so it was all part of the journey, you know, and then eventually, um, in December or January of 2020, end of 20, beginning of 2021 is when our birth mother, she reached out to us and chose us. And, um, it was probably like a year long process till we were like, really got chosen. But then the interesting fact is we got chosen by a second, um, birth mother as well. And the other birth mother, she has the same name as me. When she contacted me, she's like, She's like, hi, my name's Alexa. I am pregnant with a baby boy and he's due on May, May 7th, which is my birthday. <laughs> and I was like, what? It was like, it was like, I was reading a joke. Like I was like, this is Alexa and he's due on May 7th. I was like, that's wild. And so it really caught my attention, like all these signs. And that happens a lot with adoption where there's like, um, where there's like, um, synchronistic things that happen. And so, um, I was like, even though it was a boy, I was like, this feels so much in my face. I'm going to move forward with it. And so I talked to her on the phone and she like almost immediately picks us like a, a few hours after the phone call. Like, she's like, I just feel so strongly. You guys are his parents. So we're like, okay, we're going to adopt this baby. And then this other mother who had already reached out to us, she in within the same week, she was like, I want you to adopt my baby girl. And this mother was like, um, more like it was a girl and she was like native American. I don't know if she was native American, but she had native American heritage and all that. And I was like, Oh, maybe this is the girl that was in my dream. And like, and their due dates were like a few weeks apart. So they were going to be like twins. <laughs> and, um, so I was like, okay, this is going on. And it, what ended up happening is, um, we went and got our baby boy. And then a week later, the other mother chose to parent her child. And what, I was like for a while, like, why did we not get that child? I dreamt of her. And I was like, Oh, I was like, I think if I would have dreamt our little boy looks just like us, like blonde hair, blue eyes. And I was like, I think I, if I would have dreamt of a blonde hair, blue eyed little boy, I wouldn't have ever thought of adoption. I would have just been like, Oh, that's our baby. <laughs> like, you know? And so like, it felt like she was almost more like a spiritual messenger in my dreams, like come and do this adoption, which is interesting. Cause every time during the adoption, when we were waiting for the babies to be born, I would sit down and meditate often and like, just try to like send energy and love to the babies. So they could like, in hopes of like feeling me in some way. And every time I tried to connect to that baby, I got like a weird vibe of like, I don't want to connect to you. <laughs> and so I was like, it just, and it was totally meant to be obviously how it all played out. And, um, this birth mother is like amazing and wonderful. And we're very close with her and he was born. Yeah. He was born, ended up being born on May 4th. So just a few days before me. And, um, it was a much more like, there was obviously some kinks in the road, which there always is with adoption. But, um, for the most part, like, it was very like came with a lot of ease and the relationship with the birth mother has been just beautiful and the whole experience. Yeah. So. Wow. I love that. Yeah. <laughs> and um, yeah, it's so interesting when we dream about babies that don't end up producing yes. <laughs> like in the way that we think that they will. Cause like, I, I'm going to tell my story about this eventually, but like, I also had an experience um, in my first trimester where I kept dreaming about a boy 
And like, mm-hmm. I definitely did not have a boy. So like, yeah. there's a whole, like, I have a lot of theories about that. Uh-huh. Um, and I know that this happens to other women too, where it's like yes. a dream about a very specific looking child mm-hmm. or a very specific sex. And then we kind of get fixated on like yes. the actual physical embodiment of the child, like looking that way. So mm-hmm. yeah, it's, I think it's really interesting, but I, I wanted know, to comment again because I looked, I, I pulled up your chart oh, yeah. when during the, <laughs> just like, can't, can't help it. Pull up your chart when you told me that you, like around the time where you connected with like the child that you were going to adopt. Mm-hmm. So I think you said something like December, like 2020 was when mm-hmm. like something like that happened. So th- this is not medical astrology related. So I'm like, I'm not in my expertise at all, but just like intuitively, there was something really interesting happening where um, the like the transiting North node was passing over your natal moon and the transiting moon was passing over your natal North node. And then yeah. so the, the nodes, the, the North node is where a lot of energy enters into the chart. Mm-hmm. So there's like, there's this interesting mirroring with like the no- the North node and the moon when the moon is like the mother and the womb. Mm-hmm. Um, and then also transiting Chiron was um, passing over the Pars Fortuna, which is like a point in the chart that tends, at least in medical astrology, it tends to bring um, like good luck and health to that area of the chart. But your natal Chiron placement is in cancer, which is the wound of the mother. So there was like all this, like this interesting pattern happening in the chart. And I just felt like there's like some weird alignment where it like the wound of the mother was being healed. Like it was like yes. a moment well, like of healing. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it was so beautiful. And then even when you told me you brought home, um, okay, and then the same thing happened again when you actually physically brought your son home where the North Node was transiting Jupiter and Jupiter was transiting the natal North node. So there was like a mirroring again. And Jupiter, like I said earlier, um, brings luck and joy into our life. And so there was like, just like another mirroring happening there. And I just thought that was so interesting. I was like, wow, these like key transitions with these nodes and like, Mm -hmm. yeah, it felt very reflective of, of like milestones in your story. Yeah, I can. That's amazing. That's amazing to know all of that. And yeah, there's adoption is kind of an incredible, like spiritual thing and like a almost karmic vibes to like adoption and stuff. And yeah, it's, it's very interesting. Um, yeah, this, um, one thing about the karmic things with adoption is so, you know, this birth mom had my same name birth. Dad also had the same name as my ex-husband and like just birth mom even almost has an identical middle name to me. Like it was just like, felt like I was adopting from a parallel life of mine or something like, Wow, it was like, yeah. And so there, these things, yeah. If you feel anyone feels called to adoption, it definitely is like this karmic, energy. I feel like, like when you said healing the mother, like a mother wound of some kind, which is also interesting because a lot of my, maybe in the first year of when I really dug into healing was healing my own mother wound, you know, with my mother. And so just kind of interesting that that like showed up in the chart, you know? Um, yeah. 
Yeah. So cool. Um, I want you to talk a little bit about, um, I want you to transition into your work, the work that you do with women and how Mm -hmm. this whole personal experience has informed your current focus and what you feel like your, your purpose is in life and how that's expressing. Well, yeah. So, um, you know, I've been a mental health therapist for about nine years. Um, and so I've been doing that for a long time, but most recently I've felt, um, in the last couple of years, I felt it coming, but I actually stopped seeing clients like for, for good. I, I don't know if it's for good, but in the way that I what have been seeing them, I'll say, um, because it kind of feels, I don't know if it, it yeah, it obviously feels out of li- alignment for me right now in my life. Um, and even the like therapy model, I think there's a, I mean, I've benefited from therapy in my life before, but like, I do feel like there's a lot of things missing in, um, that model. And so, um, you can definitely find therapists that are more into like somatics and, um, stuff like that. Um, that's definitely what I was doing more with my clients. I, I started to attract clients that were more into the type of stuff I was in, which was really nice. Cause I got to do more non-traditional therapy with clients. Um, but still, and this, this net, it feels like I'm going into a whole new way. So I've had a lot of experience working my practice was mainly with women, trauma, anxiety, depression. So that was kind of for nine years, been working a lot with that. And now I'm kind of transitioning into less. Um, and, you know, I've held some like ceremonial space for, with women and stuff. Um, and, um, but it's, as I, as I prepare that my womb for like this next baby, I've been getting strong, like vibes of like, okay, time to stop holding space for other people and start to hold space for you and this child. So I've taken a step back from like one-on-one clients and like, basically like kind of in the depths of healing for, with other people. And kind of, it actually feels like it's like my body and soul felt a huge relief to be like, to step away from that. And so now I'm kind of, I've been really getting excited about like, um, doing things more like courses in the meantime, I want to work on a one-on-one or group level again, but just like right now it's like, it's not aligned. And so, um, but I realized that I have, and and I know it, like, I know you mentioned one time, like your Gemini moons can be very happy with you starting a podcast. And that's how I feel with like me writing these courses. It's like stepping into like teacher mode or guide mode versus like therapist, like mode. And it feels really like good right now in my body and my soul. It feels really excited to, I'm realizing like, okay, nine years of like being in the depths of therapy and my own healing. I'm like, I have, feel like I have a lot of stuff now to like, um, share with the world or something. And so right now specifically, I've been working and I started doing this on my one-on-one with my one-on-one clients before, but, um, I'm writing a course right now to hopefully, I've, uh, it's called womb alchemy, alchemy, and it's basically to help women use their, what they call PMS to like, um, heal their womb. And so, cause I basically believe that your hormones are like this portal. That's like 
let's make things more sensitive. Let's make, let's make you more aware of what's going on in your body. And so I always loved it when my clients were PMSing or on their period, because it was like, oh, great. Now we can like maybe move past you've been blocked on this issue for a while. And it's almost like the block is lifted when they're in that phase of their cycle, because they're so much more sensitive. So this course I'm working on right now is like to help, to help you and guide you through that point of your cycles. So instead of being like, oh my gosh, I'm PMSing or it's more like welcoming those feelings, welcoming those hormones, gaining a relationship with them. So you can like actually use them to like, heal yourself, you know? (laughs) Yeah. I love that. Yeah. So that's, that's kind of, I've been focused on a lot of like womb stuff lately. Cause it's been kind of where my unconscious conception has been where a lot of my thought and mind body soul has been in the last couple of years. So I'm kind of like really feeling passionate about helping women like this conscious conception stuff, this, like, like what we've been talking about, like showing women there's a, there's another way, like you do not have to put your body, your womb in the hands of someone else. It's like, you are empowered. Like you can do this. You know, I just want other women to basically be where I'm at right now and be like, you don't have to like do all these injections. You don't have to do it, you know? And so I feel very passionate about like spreading the word on that and helping other women just feel confident in their fertility and stop using that word infertility, you know, like, yes. so, um, <laughs> can you tell us a little bit about, cause you're, you're providing the content for the bonus material this week. Yeah. So can you tell us a little bit about what the women can expect from your offering in that bonus material? For the for the episode yes so it's it's a meditation to connect you to your soul um and it's called like reintroduction or introduction to your soul if you feel like that's something you it can be used for if you feel like you really have a good relationship with your intuition or if you feel like you don't and so um basically it's going to guide you through an experience to really connect to your essence, I would say. Um, Basically that part of you that you were right when you were conceived, right when you were born, before you were like untouched by all your programs and all your stories, it's trying to connect you to that part of you, that meditation. Um, And then there's just a few uh, journal prompt questions afterwards to help you to integrate that experience, the experience you had. And, um, I, the reason why it, because of my own journey, honestly, I realized how important it was to connect to my intuition and to actually trust it. Um, because the minute I started trusting myself and my intuition is, is when things started to flow so much easier and there was so much less like long suffering, you know? Um, and so I think if you're embarking on any type of fertility journey, like using this meditation and the journal prompts and just to really try to make that, even if it's your first connection, just really trying to connect to your body, your essence, your intuition, um, will be very key, right. In anything in life really. And so, yeah, that's kind of what that is. 
Amazing. Thank you so much for telling us about that and providing that for the audience. Um, I guess before we go, I'll just ask you, what does motherhood mean to you? Mm. Oh, man. Motherhood. (laughs) To me, it's like a complex answer, I guess. Uh, There's been a lot that's gone into it for me, but as I've like motherhood, the first word that came to my mind when you said that is just creation. And I don't mean the sense, I mean, yes, like you create a child in your womb, but also motherhood to me has allowed um, creation of my life that I want. Like it's allowed, um, like the times that I spend with my son, it's, I feel like in a creative mode, I feel more present. I feel more create. I feel actually more creative in my work life and in my home life than I ever have becoming a mother. Um, it's opened something up in me as far as creativity goes. And I've been very connected to that creation energy ever since becoming a mother. Um, and it, to me, it also has, like I'm all already a playful person, but it kind of motherhood is like also play. Like it doesn't have to be so serious. It doesn't have to be so like, um, (laughs) frustrating, even though it can be, um, I try to play as much as I can. He, he wants, that's what his whole life is right now. His lens is just play. Anytime he's fighting a diaper change, I try to remind myself he's just playing, you know? And so it really, really motherhood. It's like this beautiful, like beautiful song to me of like dance and play and kind of like a teach it's like teaching me what life really is about. And so yeah, it's been a beautiful experience so far. Oh, I love that. Thank you so much for being here and for Thank sharing you your for story with us. us. Yeah. And and see. Yay. <laughs> <laughs>